Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The wait is finally over, and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go. Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports, and BT Sport together, and all without a contract. What a fantastic part! So whether there's a day, week, or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Slackers, I return to you for season two. We have been recommissioned. Uh, I had to have a really deep and meaningful meeting with myself. Took myself out for a fancy dinner and uh, gave it the big sell. You know, I was going in really hard on season two, talking about the guests and the ideas that I had for it. And here we are. I commissioned it. I couldn't be even more delighted. But we're back for more episodes anyway. Season one went down incredibly well. Uh, we had a few number one placings on the music podcast chart on Apple Music. And you, do you know what? I haven't a baldy how they actually assess that. But do you know what? Who cares? Season two is back, and we already have the likes of this. And I get this for guestage. The specials: Christine and the Queens, Bring Me the Horizon, Loyal Carner, Scroobius Pip. Glenn Hansard, they're all recorded, they're done and dusted, and I'm going to be recording a couple over the next few weeks to make up the end of season two as well. But before I get to our first guest, uh, I just want to talk to you really quickly about a book that I've written, and it is coming out soon. It is called The Slacker's Guide to the Music Industry, and it has got over 70 contributors from Biffy Clyro, Charlie XEX, Run the Jewels, Annie Mac, Blossoms. Loads more, loads of music industry people who are like well placed to give you advice. Um, I've played in bands for absolutely ages, and that's the book I wanted when I was a kid. So I decided, right, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to go out and I'm going to write it myself. And the pre-order for it will be going live next week at philtaggartslacker.com. And you know what? I shouldn't even be mentioning this really. Like I was going to like just drop it all on um, Tuesday. 
next week, but I'm letting you all in because you're my podcast family, and I love you so much. Uh, if you follow me at Philly Taggart on Instagram or Twitter, um, you'll be able to see all about the book. I've made a really cool video with my friend, the director, Tommy Davis, and the band Jumanji from, from Brighton, and there will be a book, an e-book, t-shirts, merch, all up for sale next Tuesday. So there we go. feel like a proper podcast now that I'm selling merch. Do you know what proper podcasts do? They've got sponsors. The Slacker Podcast has partnered up with Beer52 to give you some free craft beers. Go to beer52.com forward slash slacker and get ordering. If you don't know anything about Beer52, it is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club. What they do is they search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from all around the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members you lucky lot if you get ordering it's very simple the beers are free but the postage not so if you pay the £5.95 for the postage you get a load of free beers happy days I mean my Instagram on Friday nights is basically just my mates all showing off with like you know a fancy can of this or a fancy can of that um you can get maybe a mango milkshake ipa from wales that exists uh, a beer bibliotech which is from sweden dark beers light beers you can get a mixed case of them you can try them all um all you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash slacker order your free case and just pay £5.95 and you get eight beers of different types and varieties very very easy and there's no commitment other you can take the free case uh of the first batch and then just go, do you know what, not for me, uh, I'm just going to pause it, I'm going to cancel it, but try it out anyway, beer52.com forward slash slacker, uh, and get the beers in. This week, we have a man associated with the following acts, see if you can get it, I mean, to be honest, his name is on the listing of this, so you probably know who it is anyway, but look, just humour me, play along for a minute. The House Martins, Beats International, The Brighton Port Authority, Pizza Man, Freak Power, Mighty Dubcats and his biggest act, if you haven't got it already, Fat Boy Slim. I drove my car from Brighton, where I'm living at the moment, across the seafront to Hove, uh, to Norman Cook's house. I laid out my equipment uh, for the first non-studio podcast. Guys, I haven't recorded too many of these like field recordings outside of a studio yet, and I genuinely thought that I'd lost this podcast about six times, and during the podcast i kind of like went a little bit cold and thought this isn't even recording <laughs> but here it is we've got it anyway the first episode of slacker season two with norman cook in three two one ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages we have got a podcast right now with the one and only norman cook hello good afternoon this is the first podcast I've done where I've been invited into somebody's home. You obviously don't know, I mean, know me do, that well. You should do it more often. <laughs> I think. Well, it's a good way of getting to know each other. Yeah, uh, and I think probably people are happier in their own environments than being stuck, stuck in a studio. I think in a studio you feel when the red light comes on you have to perform. Well, a studio for you probably means something different than a studio for me. A studio for me is going in and just yakking and playing records for a bit. Oh, you see, you, a studio, you, you, a radio studio for me that means work. <laughs> that means you're on the treadmill, you've, yeah. got an, you've got a record out and you have to sell it to people and it means endless afternoons spent uh-huh. trawling around London answering the same questions over and over again. So yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm a lot happier not being in But you've had so many projects over the different years that you probably had to like, you probably got a stock answer for every single one of them. 
You're like, yeah, like, that, but we, yeah, there's no, but there's no fun. It's no fun nah. just trotting out stock answers. I, you know, what happens is if, if I've given the same answer more than three times, I start giving different answers just <laughs> to keep hold my attention. I, like I had a little bit of that when I was I was playing in a band years ago. I played in a sort of indie pop band. Not massively dissimilar to the House Martins, if if all all truth be told. But um yeah, we when we get asked questions, we never actually told the same story twice. My favourite was doing doing a, a, a afternoon of interviews for the South American market. So they're all in Spanish. Now I don't speak a word of Spanish. So but I had a really lovely translator. He spent the whole afternoon with me in, in this uh, garden in Miami. But as the afternoon wore on, I started giving different answers. Now, the <laughs> translator had been <laughs> translating off, and she would have to translate an answer knowing full well that I'd just given the completely yeah, yeah, opposite yeah. answer to what I'd given the previous interview. <laughs> um, well, that's, I mean, that's the danger of when you put musicians on, on that treadmill of... Oh, uh, what, yeah, of, exactly. Of, of, um, and it's promotion. worse when it's bands, isn't it? Because they're, they're all trying to sort of like make, make the other ones laugh and kind of like... Yeah, like, you just get, make, you know, musicians, we've got, you know, very low sort of attention... <laughs> Threshold. That's why musicians, <laughs> and, yeah, you know what I mean? And getting us to apply ourselves to the job of selling. Mm. And also, a lot a lot of musicians really hate the idea of selling. I love making music, and I really get off on watching people enjoy it, and I love I love bumping into people who, you know, had great sex to it or conceived their child to it, things like that, the greatest accolade. But the idea of selling it to people, being, mm. you know, becoming a, just a door-to-door salesman. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, like, you initially, like, you're on there so you can speak to fans of your music but at the same time it's nowhere near the same as being out at a gig and somebody telling you something like really personal what it means to them yeah or just if you you know if you're at a gig and you're playing the music there yes you are selling your your product but Mm. you're you're having fun and they're having fun while while the process happens whereas radio interviews does does feel a bit like you're you're kind of it's a production line Uh you're just trying to shift you <laughs> and you know and I, I met from an early age I remember being disgusted when when um, record companies would call what we did product I, I don't know it's like I, it, it's just cheapening this is, this is my, me pouring my heart out it's my life's work it's what I'm passionate about and you reduce it to being called product um, so we, we start every podcast in the exact same way and we delve deep into the the annals of your discography to play a, an, an early demo yes what have, what have we got here? That well, it's, a, it's a really hard choice because the yeah. nature of the way I make records as Fatboy Slim um, doesn't really involve a demo process. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, with with the Beatles and something, there'd be you know, you'd hear the song gestate and mm-hmm. grow as, as one person like maybe did it on their acoustic guitar, and then they took it to the band, and then bits got changed and everything. With 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 kind of the kind of music I make is sort of you you start with the demo and then you polish it and then at some point it's finished so going back to the demo you probably just hear a very rudimentary version but so I was I was looking through some of the things and what I found was the first ever version of Praise You which is actually sort of pre-Fatboy Slim I did a, 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 pro- a project for my totally for my own uh, enjoyment which is an ambient album called Yum Yum Head Food <laughs> Which I love I, the name of it. And it was Can I steal that from my chill show on Radio One? Yeah. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah have it, take it. Um yeah, and it was just the idea it was just like tunes to put on, you know, like interesting ambient stuff to put on. And and it was never intended to be released or anything like that. So it was me just mucking around with a load of samples and making sort of chilled out stuff. Some of which ended up as Fat Boy Slim stuff. So looking back on it, it kind of was me demoing because the ones where 
the hook became I found myself singing the hook this there was two tunes on on the yum yum head food album one was bird of prey and the other was praise you and both of them were like you know what there's something about that yeah vocal. exactly you can't let, let it be yeah or you just find yourself singing it in the middle of the night going right I, just, I need to you know do something so um so this was the first ever version of praise how many you. years before because i praise you came out like i'm i making this wrong 1997 this would have been about a oh actually no you know what because Praise You was on the second album. Yeah. This would have been about a year before the first album, so this would have been 96, probably. Okay. Right, well, I'm going to whack, whack it on. We'll play a little bit of it, and then we'll talk a bit off the end.
There we have it, the number one hit record before it was a hit record. Before, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's, that is unrecognisable to like what, what it ended up being. There's so, there's so polars apart. Musically, yeah, it's a long way away. Musically, um, it's in a different room. Mm. Um, but like I said, it was like the uh, there was a there was about ten tracks on that, and they all kind of had a, a vocal. Mm-hmm. And t- like I said, two out of the two out of the ten stuck in my head, and thought, yeah, that's a good hook. Where did you get that sample from? That sample is from a, a tune called "Take Your Praise" by Camille Yarbrough, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a really sexy funk song. And she just sings the first three lines a cappella um, before the band comes in. Did you find that by like, did we create digging around and yeah. you were just like, wow, right, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm I am the, I am the crate diggers, crate digger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My, even my crates would crate dig. <laughs> Can you remember where you got that from? That, yeah, that I, I, brought, I got it from the Camden Market, a stall, I can't remember the name of the guy. A store in Camden Market, and it was one of those bootleg, the sort of funk reissue bootlegs uh, called Essential Funk. Mm-hmm. I've still got, I actually showed it to someone the other day. Yeah. And it was, I said that's the best £9.49 I've ever spent <laughs> in my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it, it absolutely is. Like, I, I think if you, you matched up the, the bass line to the, um, the praise you that ended up on the second Fatboy Slim album and the, the bass line on that, the second one might get the dance floors kind of like jogging a little bit. Faster. Yeah, like I said, they're in different rooms. This was definitely, this is for, for people in, in that kind of euphoric late night state of mind to lie around cuddling each other too, right? Yeah. And it wasn't aimed at the dance floor. It, like if was that was that something that like it, you know you you could have gone deeper into the sort of ambient late night stuff because like obviously yeah. a, a year later you're you're going back a couple of hours back to like eleven p.m. twelve a.m. getting the getting the party going like yeah um I think I could I think it's probably that's something that maybe you can explore in your later later life mm. um I think it's more about I think most most of the music in 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 my career has been a reflection of the life I was living. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends, but you know, who, where you're living and who you're hanging out with and what you're doing. And I think at that point in my life, I was, I was, we were, might not be a lot of sleep happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a lot of late nights <laughs> and a, that time of night when you don't want to, you know, you're done with dancing and you're just lying in a big eat up pile. Yeah. And so it was, it was for that. Whereas when, as soon as this kind of fat boy slim thing started taking off, it was very much, you know, going to the heavenly, heavenly social and things like that was kind of the opposite. It was like, let's have it, let's have it right <laughs> in everyone's face. And so my life became a lot more manic and, and the music reflects that. Yeah, and I just think that's going to be interesting to a lot of people that might might not, number one, know where that sample comes from, but like, uh, number two, know that that was actually out beforehand. Uh, that track, It was never released, no. The, the did it never come out, no? No, it was uh, simply no. for me and my mates. And yeah. I, I, I think I must have done probably about... That's real commitment to the 30, cause. I must have burnt about 30 CDs of it and given them away to my mates, but it was never intended to be released. I mean, that's another thing about ambient stuff. It doesn't really sell. For, uh, it There's a, a lot of artists at the moment that are making that that have their dance like you know four to the floor side and they've got their ambient side and like there, there's a an artist called Leon Vinehall who's got an ambient album out right now which is absolutely incredible. There's a, there's a lot of ambient music coming back. Well, I think there's always going to be a, a need for it. Yeah. In the same way that dance music will never go out of fashion because young people always want to go out and, and get high and get laid on a Friday. It does night. dip though. Like you know things things come in sort of cycles and gyres like I think I think it becomes more 
more fashionable and more mainstream but the even even at its quietest moments there's still an underground hardcore of dance music or or just or just people just dancing to a slightly different rhythm mm. but the idea that that young people or even middle-aged people want to go out and lose themselves to music is uh, it, is, is it yeah. kind of primeval? It, probably, it was probably happening in caves. <laughs> uh, Derek the caveman was slap, yeah, slapping Derek. his own ass, <laughs> and that's how techno was. And that's how techno was. Born. They're experimenting with fermenting, <laughs> licking toads, and fermenting various kinds of honey. <laughs> Guys, this is really good fun. <laughs> we should do this every single Saturday night, and then Sunday morning comes along, and you have to go out and hunt the saber-toothed tiger. You're not feeling with it. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I think the the. Um, the the the, re- the reason we have dance music is never going to change, and the, probably the reason that we have chilled out music was never going to change. I, I had three cassettes um, at that age when that when that came out, and I had "Praise You" as a cassette single. You um, bought the other one, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I think that was, the, that was the death throes of cassette singles. <laughs> exactly. I, I've got the other one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, growing up in Oma, there was only one record store, and it wasn't like you could go in and go if you got that in CD. It's like take it or leave it, mate. So I think I had that. I think I had Blur. I think I had Eminem. I think that was like on a, cassette. Yeah, yeah. Have you still got them? Uh, no. Oh God, it would be up in the roof space of like a. An well, old I, house. I hope it is. <laughs> my, my, I've still got my cassette collection. Yeah, but mine mainly mixtapes. I've got, I've got mixtapes that Paul Heaton made when we were fifteen, um, which a, a large part was my like my musical education. Mm. You do, because bef- what was it? What was, what stream, was on that? Oh, uh, there was. Um, Whole load of there was um, Bubba Brooks, uh, King Size, old Scar, really scratchy old Scar record. There was a version of Walking My Baby Back Home. I never worked out who it was by. There was some Buzzcocks. There was a whole load of Otis Redding. Um, it was and Sam and Dave. There was a lot of soul music, a lot of soul and a lot of blue beat. So like the, like you know sort of in my head that that era and obviously like you know I wasn't I wasn't born but like you know thinking back on it I always thought it was very you are a certain thing you're a creed you're a skinhead you're a mod you're a punk you're a new romantic you're yeah. this that and the other but, like, but you can change yeah. weekly <laughs> really because yeah. it's, it's oh, yeah, yeah. From, from what from what it sounds like I, I i can't picture what you would have dressed like at that stage whereas like you know your fashion dictates your music taste and vice versa yeah i was i i, I yo-yoed around a bit i mean i started as a punk rocker yeah um first and foremost i was 14 in 1977 and punk rock was exactly was what perfect age what, isn't what it? i wanted mm. you know i wanted noise and rebellion and you know snotty behavior what did you have pierced uh i wasn't allowed anything pierced obviously no. I was kind of living in middle-class suburban surrey you, you have to have your own take on it uh and so yeah so punk was the, the original one and then i flirted briefly with a little kind of rude boy moddy kind of thing uh, think of a skinhead at all. So you went from a rip T-shirt to a Fred Perry. Yeah, mm. yeah, and yeah, because Paul Paul was running a scooter at those at that point and listening to to soul, like you know, uh, Atlantic and Stack Soul, and that was quite a cool. I think, I think that was my next kind of cool thing. And then New Romantic, I threw myself absolutely wholeheartedly That's into new, it, like because it was it was the electric. Yeah. Drum beat, and it was you know it was the kind of forerunner to the house music. Is that what is that what brought you into sort of new romantic music? Was it the was it the was it the drums? Was it was it the sort of synths? Was it, or was it the look? Because like like looking back on it, it looks so naff. It was that no, it was definitely the drums and the synths. I wasn't too good at the fashion. I attempt, I made some. How, t- how tall was your quiff? Red foot. <laughs> oh, I've also I've also been quite good on the quiff. Yeah, yeah. So I had. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, I've had a kind of flat top pretty much since mm. I was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it wasn't a fashion thing. No, it was definitely about, it started with Donna Summer, I Feel Love, mm. which right in Great the tune. heat of 1977, when I was being a punk rocker, there was this, there was this record that was my guilty pleasure. Well, it was and, it, it and was punk and disco sucks, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And all my mates were going, "No, the disco sucks." Like, <laughs> yeah, most disco sucks, but this electronic stuff that George Amaroda makes. Yeah, yeah. And I checked out like side three of Bad Girls by Donna Summer. It was just like the three tracks that that segued into each other. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it all had this like sequence thing. And I remember listening to the the, the sequence synth on "I Feel Love" and just thinking, this must be what being on drugs sounds like. And it was just. I like, want to make this all the time. And it was really cuddly and talking to you, and and and, and that was kind of prototype of Acid House. So mm. yeah, that so the the electronic side of it drew me in, rather than the, the you know the BG side of disco. How do you go from like you know being a secret disco head to being a punk rocker, and then ending up in a band releasing a cappella tunes? You've kind of like you've been dipping <laughs> dipping your toes because obviously the House Martin started. What age were you then? Uh, t- uh, twenty-one. Twenty-one. Yeah. Right. So you had like some growing to do from the from the punk rock stage, um. But their bass player pull out before a tour or yeah. something like that, and it was like well, Paul was well, who do we know? I've been in band with Paul when we were before we were, that. Before that. Okay. And then I'd gone off to university, and he'd moved up to Hull, <laughs> and um, the thing was, the thing was, I'd always liked black music. Now nowadays, black music is called dance music, mm-hmm. but in those days, it was called black music, and and, it, and if you wanted to make it, you had to kind of pretend to be black. Like, uh, not naming any names, but there was bands in the 80s who kind of, you know, playing slap bass and going, hey, we're so cool. And I just thought, no, let's keep the music that I love, which is black and scratchy and dirty and funky. Let's keep that as my love. My mm. legacy as a suburban white middle-class kid is indie pop. So and yeah, I've, I've got to do it. So this is you know this is my my legacy. This is where I should be in life, and obviously which worked uh, perfectly well because there was enough reference points to punk. I mean, House mm-hmm. Minds were we're pretty much a punk band with, with you know sweeter tunes, mm-hmm. and um, so but then what happened in the end was there's somebody invented the drum machine and the sampler, especially the sampler, and all of a sudden white people could make black music without trying to having to pretend to be black <laughs> you were never seen nick, again or just nick bits of black yeah. off black records mm-hmm. nick the snare drum off a black record you know and, and, and it, yeah so had this sample not been invented i would probably still be in in a you know a white pop band wow but i i was drawn to the dark side by sampling and and by that point the number of years that i'd spent being a ne'er-do-well in various nightclubs <laughs> had kind of uh, the, the pleasures. It's surely, surely like, you know, being being the sort of rock and roller that you are, going to nightclubs and all, all the rest of that's, that, that's just part of it. Because, like, you, you talk about the House Martins, it's not like that you weren't massively successful. Like, you had a um, number one record, like, you released albums, you went on big tours. Yeah, but wrote, it was, the, it was almost the same, as, it was the same as, as a, a younger version of me getting Kane for liking I Feel Love because disco sucked. Yeah. There's me in an indie pop band d- going to the dark side when Morrissey has declared hang the DJ. <laughs> I I know, I mean that was that was the reason why I left the house minds was they said, look, you can't be DJing and playing and making these music. This music. Was it an ultimatum? Can't. Well, there was no crossover in those days. There's no crossover yeah. between there's, there's still not really like really. Oh, there is. No, 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 I mean, in the 2007s, like 6 7, there was that indie electro crossover where there was a lot of like 
Justice were almost seen like an indie band. Like people yeah, would listen no, but to I mean, before that, you yeah. had the whole Happy Mondays. Yeah, yeah, Manchester, yeah, the Manchester stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that whole thing, that just opened all the, 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 the cross-pollination between the two. But until then, it re- literally, they were, you know, people, they, I, I was releasing little bootleggy records that, uh, that were just kind of hip-hop. And and uh, the band decreed that I could never actually own up to doing them <laughs> yeah. because they said it's career suicide. If our fans fans find out you like black music, it's you know. But being into hip hop in like that, what year is that? Like they like like eighty five. That but that's essentially almost the year, not the year dot of hip hop. Obviously, like the the Cool Herc stuff and all all the rest of it would have been a little bit before that. But like, does that is that even does that even predate Public Enemy? What that I'd been into, like, like nineteen eighty five and hip hop. That's about the same time. That yeah, it was around the. It was around that time. So how how were you even getting these records, these hip hop records, over here in the UK? Because because I've I've worked in a record shop that, that sold dance imports, and I was the I'd be always you know all the while when I was at college I was DJing in the clubs, and then I worked at a, a record shop called Rounder Records, mm. and I was the dance music specialist, and we were the only shop in town that's that specialised in dance music and that sold American imports. So yeah, we'd just get the imports, which is great in those days. You get them two or three months before anybody before they were ever released in England. When you were playing hip hop and you were like releasing like little bootlegs and stuff like that, people must have looked at you like you had like six heads because it wasn't a popular genre at all. It, it's it's like I don't even know what the sort of 2018 equivalent of of that would be, but it would like cause it probably is so unpopular. Yeah, <laughs> but the good thing about it was that we were the great, we were the sort of minority. Because mm. when I was in the house minds, they did a documentary about us, and and one segment was like, "What's your hobbies? What do you do in your spare time?" And there's <laughs> me in my records. bedroom. There's Don't me. say it, Norman. It's me. Well, I, I was like, "Oh God, I've got to do." It. Well, I, you know, it was only my hobby. Yeah. Um, and there's me with my decks in my bedroom, like cutting up the Run DMC and the Clash. And and years later, when when I left the house minds and started making dance music, everyone went, "Yeah, you were the one." Back in the day, you were doing it, yeah. and like, everyone was like, "Can you believe that guy at the house? <laughs> he's got decks and he's coming up." And, um, and I got tons of props from all the all the the other people who were mm. making dance videos. Going, "Oh yeah, respect you were actually doing it." So and 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 they, but then it was we were kind of we were there was much more of a fraternity because we were the people that no one took seriously or yeah. or no one just recognised that what we were doing was important. And so we stuck together and we, we compared notes and we were, the, you know, there's that, that kind of community that comes like from the idea if he's all sitting in a library, so like, like, uh, oh no, get my notes. Spreading, no, spreading, <laughs> spreading, like going, oh, you scratched that a little bit at a time there. So maybe if you like, you know, if you do this with your fingers. It was pretty much that, only it happened in nightclubs. <laughs> it happened in nightclubs, <laughs> yeah. rather than, or, or in hotel rooms after nightclubs. How, so how did you fit in with the, the whole sort of Manchester scene that came around in the sort of late? To eight, late late eighties, because obviously that's a kind of like melding of two loves there. Yeah, well, I was in Beats International at that point. Yeah. We were sort of on. We were very much from the south, mm. so we weren't um, in there. But yeah, we were doing shows around the same. Yeah, I mean, I sort of even though the music Beats International didn't really cross the genres musically, because I'd been in a in a, an indie band, mm. and now I was making dance. I was kind of accepted by both camps. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Dub Be Good to Me was one of the biggest tracks. Yeah, and around. I suppose that's, that's, it still kind of is. The clash, <laughs> clash bass line with a with a soul song. So yeah, but like, well, did you did you feel like being from the south that all eyes were on the north for once? You, know, you were just like going, well, there's there's always the north south divide. So like you know with dance music, I'm sure there's, I'm sure that doesn't like maybe when you're all sort of loved up or whatever, you're like, oh, it's all good. There's no divide here. But then when I you're would, on your way back down there, one, you're like going, fuck. 
Well, I was. I'm just really glad that anything anything that happens outside London, because I think people in London take it for granted that they think they're the centre of the universe. So. You know, when we were in the house buying, so, you know, we did record our album London Neil Hall for yeah, I love that. very much that. <laughs> and when I started making records down here, I wrote Made in Brighton in really big letters on mm. every single record I made. So there was a, there was kind of that sort of any, anybody who was doing anything outside London and, and staying and having a scene where See, they lived. But I, obviously, the you know, I probably they're probably a little bit jealous of people in the north oh, God, at that yeah, point well, they're they, cool everybody but then quite, but quietly that was setting the seeds of what happened with skin and everything mm. where we kind of put Brighton on the map well it, it, it's funny you Bristol you know like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well the, the Bristol club scene like is well, one of the best club scenes in, in UK and like, always has been but I've just moved to Brighton and I've got that I've always had that anywhere but London mentality but I've had to move to London for yeah. to, to, to get a job and, oh, it's and work, work, work in yeah. radio and I, I've got no animosity towards it but I just like I've, I'm in Brighton for two, three months, and I feel more affinity here than I have done in six years, really? <laughs> seven years. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's in London, and I think that's like crazy to say, but like you're not from Brighton, but you love it so much because like, as you said, like there's paraphernalia in all of your releases and there's even tracks within the albums that have... You're not from Brighton. Oh, it's to Brighton. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What, what, what is it that who's somebody who maybe is about to pack up and leave, and they're trying to figure out where on the the big map that they should go and live? What, what is it about Brighton that sort of brings? You I to think it? it's the uh, the um, it's the pro slacker elite. That's why we've always described ourselves. The pro slacker, pro slacker elite. Yeah, this is great. The podcast is called the Slacker Podcast. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> well, we. At Brighton, we take we take slacking very seriously, yeah, yeah. And just to the point that basically, everyone who's really got any kind of ambition in life eventually will have to move to London to fulfil their dream. Mm. Brighton is full of the people who kind of wanted to fulfil a bit, but we couldn't be asked to move out to London. <laughs> and that's kind of where we pitched. 
yeah, we're, so, uh, we're kind of on a par with Bristol, mm. but probably a little bit less stoned. Yeah. Uh, probably more likely to do uppers rather than downers. Um, but they've got that same kind of, you know what, I'm quite happy where, you know, life's too short to, to have to go and live in a really big, crazy city just just to get that higher up on the on the ladder. As soon as I go on the train, get past um, East Croydon, my t- my shoulders tense up on yeah, the train. Well, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. you're preaching to the converted oh, God, here. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, there's no, I mean, no offense to people to people who live in London. No, people abso- do it, absolutely not. We quite. I think we people in Brighton are quite proud of the fact that we kind of we accept second best <laughs> and we roll with it. I wanted to ask you about other people who sample music. So, like, I've always seen Q-Tip as like one of my favorite people to, that samples records. What do you think of? people who sample records like Q-Tip like do you get jealous when you hear bits in their tracks and you're like going oh god oh, yeah, I've yeah. listened to that record I know that sample I should have used it well I suppose in all, all kinds of music so as soon as you've it's something you've loved and you've put all that thought and care into it and when it actually becomes your job you lose a little bit of that because when you hear somebody else do a really good record rather than going oh that's a brilliant record you just think why didn't I think of that? Yeah, yeah exactly. That would fucking help. Like great, my how album. Good that? I should just give up now. I mean, okay. yeah. And so you start being competitive with other people, which is a shame because before I would just genuinely love everything. So I try, yeah, you try and just go, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, but yeah, constantly. There's some, I mean, probably the, I remember hearing the Dust Brothers producing that first Beastie Boys album that they did. And just listening to the, the production and the samples and the way they chucked everything together and just mm. thinking, I should just give up now. <laughs> they, I'm not going to reach this. streets ahead of me. And, you know. um, but then, yeah, no, you, just, you just have to, you have to get back to being a fan and get back to loving things. I kind of got a little bit frustrated with dance music in about 2015 because everybody was using the same samples. There was a re- there was a real yeah like spew of like the same Marlena Shaw sample that was being used on about six different records by six different DJs and you're like come on guys just yeah. buy a different record like but it's I think it's the same with all music yeah it, true it, it's a, every music kind of has its sort of purple periods where where you know mm. ground is being broken and then times when it kind of gets a little bit lazy yeah I remember when um, when people first started you could hear people making music on their laptops. And it was great that everyone could make it, but everyone was using the same kick drum, the same bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, come on. And then, it, then all the bass lines just became one note. And I'm realizing, I was, I was thinking, you know what? The reason for that is you haven't got enough room in your luggage to put a little <laughs> keyboard controller <laughs> yeah, yeah. in your laptop. So when you're working in the airport, you've only got the notes that you've got it's on your keyboard A-S-D. to read. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. QWERTY. Yeah. QWERTY beat. QWERTY beat. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I mean, that, and, but then what happens is it, it, everybody notices it gets stale and, mm. and people start to drift away. And then you need someone, you know, every now and then in dance music, nice. someone like Daft Punk come along and just mm. turn everything on its head. And yeah, it, 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 but the, the, the faithful of us, we just wait. <laughs> wait. At times when things are dull. But I mean, I think that's the whole the big beat, Fat Boy Slim thing. We, we, we were a bunch of people who'd grown up with kind of punk rock and pop hmm. and then really been into hip hop and then been playing house for a few years and just got house had got a little bit formulaic and so we were just like well let's Bricks. just breaks everybody breaks well let's, well let's just put everything together from of what we like and see if we can inject something into into dance music and 
you know, for a couple of years, we kind of shook things up and, cool. and, and changed the way people... But then that got really stale. And then well, What are the genres that you, you slap together to get Big Beat? I'd like, say it's what? equal parts pop music from the 60s and 70s, you know, like the Beatles mm. or, you know, Mark Poland. Attitude of punk rock, but not necessarily the actual sounds of it. The sort of DIY, let's make music. Of, you know, you don't have to be a musician. Here's, here's a sampler, now make a record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then equal parts, acid house and hip hop. If somebody's listening to this right now and they don't, they haven't sort of dug back through the the big beat records, what are the essentials that they they should go and listen to? I don't know. Apart from your own records, uh, <laughs> there was a there was a al- there's an album that the Chemical Brothers compiled called Brit Hot and Amel House, mm. which was that was kind of the, n- was the best place to nascent start. form of it. Yeah, mm. but before we'd even we even had a name for it, so no no one could quite coin a name for it. Uh, yeah, can you, Brit can Hop, Animal House, Tripno. There's tons of uh, <laughs> tons of things there, but um, but I was we, I was so chuffed that Big B got yeah coin because that was the name of our club. Well, that's that's what I mean. Like, you, like it, it kind of essentially is your genre, <laughs> really. Like you 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 kicked it off. Uh, yeah, there's this downside of that as well because when it got a bit formulaic, there's a chance that I might go down with the ship. Does that the, the, like well, obviously like it. The, the genres all have a um, finite lifespan and then they, yeah. co- they come back like everything it's like it's uh, like, it's all like the fa- people are like making a move on yeah, uh, yeah you yeah. know David Barry started as a mod but he didn't continue his whole career like that but no I mean I will t- I will take to my grave the thing that that house music was named after the warehouse club in Chicago mm. garage music was named after Paradise Garage in New York and Big Beat music, music was named after the Big Beat Boutique in Brighton and I'll God, take I've that never, to I've my grave. I've never really thought about it like that. That's amazing. Like, like the, the music is actually like named after where where it originated. No, it originated because because yeah. I wouldn't claim that. Yeah, there was other, you know, came, I think probably you know what the chems were doing at the Heavenly Social. Well, it was just very fortuitous that you had high journalists down at your. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you know? yeah. When we got them all though down to Brighton, we could keep them there all weekend and get them really high. <laughs> they'd they'd write good things about us. <laughs> How did um, the the Fat Boy Slim project? start because by, by this stage you've like had uh, big beats international house martins and like uh, lo- like lots of different projects and things that you got how, d- how was the, how it was, was just what the one that endured it was just damien from skint yeah um uh well before skint there, there was a record label called loaded which jc and um damien uh, ran and um which is a house label and i was making records as pizza man for that and then damien just had this idea of this kind of this genre and there, there, it, it, there was tunes that I was there was a kind of a movement of people who got in board of house and it's like where do we go and there was there's these sort of key records which are like either kind of trip hop records played at 45 or acid house records played at 33 mm-hmm. or there was these people called the dust brothers who changed their name to the chemical brothers and then um Damien could just sort of see something coming and he, he wanted to to be a part of it or, or be you know, get involved in it. So he just said, "You know, that, you know, there's that set you play where you're kind of messing around with, you know, break beats, but a house tempo and stuff like that. Mm. Could you make it some records?" And at that point, I was Pizza Man, I was the Mighty Dub Cats, and I was also <laughs> in Freak Power. So yeah. the last thing I needed was another alter ego. Yeah. But Damien just said, "I'll just make a just we're, one we're, more." I'm starting this label called Skin. Will you make off make the first record for us? And so I, it was sort of made to order, and it was never really meant to be a career. It was just a, uh, but I enjoyed doing it and immediately people were like hey this is different and I was like hey this is fun and so gradually over the next few years it sort of eclipsed everything but it was yeah it was just there was I remember there was a pivotal moment for me where 
Lindy Layton, who'd been the singer in Beats International, mm-hmm. she we still remained friends, and she rung me up one day, said, "You know that those, all those tunes you play and that sort of set you do." I said, there's, "There's these people in London doing it called the Chemical Brothers, and there's another lot called the Big Coon of Burger." And she said, come up and London, come check them out. Yeah. So I went up and I went to the Heavenly Social and the Big Kahuna. And it was like walking into the room, just like meeting your long lost family. They're like, <laughs> wow, you like the same. Brothers. And they were actually playing one of my yeah. tunes as I walked in. I went yeah. up to Tom and Ned. I went, this is me. And they went, you're Fat Boy Slim. And we just, like, just started hugging. <laughs> that was it. We were, and Never stopped. And again, again, there was a very, very tight community because we were, the, we were the just, you know, there would just be little pockets in London and, and Brighton and things of, of people who were doing this thing that was different. And a lot of people didn't really get it at first. So we, we were very much a gang and stuck together. Do you think that ability to be able to like see what it's actually like on a dance floor and see what it means and how much people enjoy it and taking that sort of organic feeling and putting it on a record is the reason why like artists like yourself and Chemical Brothers have been able to endure because you know what makes people yeah, happy? I, th- I think there was something very instant about it. Mm. There was something very instant. Because with, now we're all okay with using samplers. You could literally... you could. I remember playing Sliced Tomatoes by the Just Brothers, this Northern Soul record at, at the boutique, and just watching everyone really getting into that beat and just thinking, right, note to self, <laughs> loop up that loop up that drum beat. Yeah. And that became Rockefeller Skank. And three weeks later, I'd play an acetate of Rockefeller Skank and go, yep, that works. And so it was very much a very quick turnover. It wasn't a, a, a band that would go and look themselves in Wales in some residential studio <laughs> for three months and pontificate <laughs> about things. Yeah. We were just making records. I mean, the first Fatboy Slim album I made just so that I had enough records I could play a 90-minute set. Well, it, it, there's definitely like a, a difference between the, the first and the second record. The second record is um, the, the, the sort of commercial breakthrough record. Yeah. Um, well, by then we realised we realised we were onto something, and yeah. we realised which bits. Does, of it, it. does that mean that somebody comes in and goes right? Do you do you have like a, not sort of an A and R man, but a producer or somebody that goes right? Maybe we should do this, that, or the other. Or are you just going? No, I'm just going to make some. No, it's just, it was a bunch of mates daring each other to to You're push it further. Going right, <laughs> literally just coming in, you know, each week, just going right. What have you done this? Well, like, whoa, no, really. Uh, and yeah, it, it was like how, some it sort was of book club. How far? Well, it was. It <laughs> yeah. was. Yeah. No, we we, we said it was like because the the, the, the original the original boutique uh, was it was like an old scout hut. Mm. hut. It was. It only held like two hundred people, and it's really low ceiling. And in the afternoon, they used to serve teas to old ladies, and then they just <laughs> kick them out, and we we come in. But it was, and we used to call it the Scout Hut, and it was like it was like a clubhouse, yeah. and it was you know everyone on Skip Records would be automatically a resident there, and they would play there, and then. We would, you know, we were affiliated with the with the London branch, which is Tom and Ed. This, and this got this got big very fast, though. You're talking about like play, playing like 200 capacities, and like uh, it was very, very, very soon after it was full beaches. It was no, I beat no, the clubs. It took, two, no? three, it took two or three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two or three years. I mean, the, the it was. I think it, it was. This is pre-internet, so mm-hmm. ideas took longer to get around. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ass- just, no, not assimilate. What's the word? Os, os- osmosis. Yeah, osmote. Osmote <laughs> to, to osmote around yeah. the world. <laughs> they would have to osmote down yeah. the M23, and then you know there was. But it was some, no. There was just little pockets of of us, and it was it was a very very exciting time. The, the only time in my whole career that I just thought this is something very special going on here. This yeah, is yeah. Like, this is this has got a life of its own. It's like like surfing, where you're 
you, you, you found a wave and all of a sudden this wave is 10 times more powerful than you. you're just hanging on you're like oh my god and trying to stay on it rather than going under you know, that must be a very special like feeling like as somebody who's an absolute music nerd the idea of being integral or even just a part of something as a fan in the middle of a scene like yeah. it feels very very exciting for me I, I, as a as a kid or as a teenager and a, like a young adult I always I always used to read books about uh, punk rock and all different genres and like the, I was lost in the romance of that of that style of music and even to a certain degree like um, dance music when I went to uni and uh, I just remember looking back and I was like I think I was sitting in 2008 or 2009 and I was like my god all we had was new rave and that was last year and, it, and even i think it was shit and that was only 12 months ago <laughs> <laughs> i the, think i think if there's one bad th- thing for for kids today it's like not enough cults not enough <laughs> yeah. not enough tribes because mm. like you said you know when i was young you, you you we started there was punks and there was soul boys and there was teds mm. but then quickly there was rude boys skinheads suede heads uh, what's, a, what's a suede head? Suede, it's like grown out skinheads who thought, <laughs> right. well, it was skinheads who weren't that, they didn't want to appear too tough. Oh, right. Okay. So they, but they liked the fashions, but they didn't want to go. So they Soft and tender yeah. again. Uh, it was safe to pick a fight with a suede head. You wouldn't get quite <laughs> so badly beaten. Um, and then, you know, and then there's goths and, and, and everyone had their own dress code, their own music, their own weight, weight you know, their own drugs or t- drink, you know. And but there hasn't been there not since I kind of think emos. It's probably the last. Well, like I, I think I actually I was kind of doing myself a disservice to a certain degree because there was that like. Or am, uh, I, or am I just too was, old to notice what's like, going there on? Was, no, there was there was like the Strokes and there was the Libertines and there was that sort of early two thousands indie boom where Enemy was massive and all the bands on it were massive, um, and and since then it's kind of been a. It's been there's been lots of great music, but maybe not as many great scenes. There's been lots of great music, yeah, but no great like, scenes. Yeah, great, no. great, great music. Like I, like I, I'm just like we, we're recording this at the end of the year, uh, 2018 in December, and I was like doing the usual music journalist thing of going through the records and going through my singles of the year and all the rest of it. I was like, wow, what a great year for music. Like, who thought that the the best record, which m- most people are putting in their number ones, would have been like a a French pop star trying to give Prince an old goal with Christine and the Queens and I was like oh, fair enough that's a, that's not a bad year yeah I'll take that um, did Big Beat and Britpop speak to each other were they were they happy sort of um, companions or that's did a they very good question yeah I think they did I think yeah we less sort of musical bedfellows more partying together there was definitely a lot of <laughs> yeah there was a lot know, of when we were doing the clubs there was a lot of um, the Britpop pop bands who we'd come to the clubs and, mm. and be getting and then when and then yeah, and then they'd sort of get us to remix their tunes and things like that yeah there was a sort of cross-pollination yeah kind of, kind of like I could imagine like you, you'd be DJing and somebody from Shed 7 or Jarvis Cocker would be like throwing their fringe about yeah so, so I think the charlatans were probably the most they were they were they were everywhere <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no, yeah there's a lot of yeah no a lot of people I mean because that's the thing I mean one of the things about Big Beat was it was reinstalling the idea of, of a party rather than nightclubs have become quite sort of corporate and quite mm. sort of high streety and it was like the idea of just going to some dirty party which is a bit like a kind of the idea of, of a rock and roll after party i always get the feeling i always get that feeling of what you've just said when i listen to like primal scream i always feel like i'm at a yeah, me- they were, i feel like they i'm were, at a messy party when yeah. i'm listening to primal they, scream. they were they were very prevalent <laughs> 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 the big, big clubs, yeah, I'd, say, yes. I'd say they definitely were <laughs> yeah. um 
Yeah, do you know I, I, a record that when when I started DJing, uh, the, actually the, like the year I started DJing, the Toe Jam track came out with um, David Byrne and right. Dizzy Rascal. And I used to play that song all the time. I adored it. Thank you. I'm I, glad I, someone I, Honest did. to God. Like, and, and I just, I went back and I was listening to, like, I, was, I was saying to you, like, off mic, I was like, I went back and I was listening to a lot of the music last week. And I hadn't listened to it maybe in about a year. Because I think I dropped it in a DJ set last year as well. And I was like, I'm, I'm playing this all the time. I'm going to play this again next time I'm out. Because what a fucking tune. David Byrne from Socken ah. Heads. Dizzy Rascal. At, like, at his peak, nearly... Um, and it's just the oddest record that I've heard in a long time. Yeah, no, it's weird because I was th- I was thinking about I think about it because I went to see David Byrne uh, a few weeks back mm. and yeah, he played it. London. He played it in his set. Did he in that super show? Yeah, in the midst of it, <laughs> he's play, you know he's playing all the Talking Heads hits and mm. then the, you can't and it, and yeah, in the midst of it, he played that. And were you expecting him like to play it like in his? We he you know? warned me. That he, oh, did he? he okay, he told me. Well, he he couldn't wait to tell me. He's going. I'm doing Tony Jones. Doing Tony But I listened to it, and I actually remember I got a little bit of a shiver because it was it was quite a difficult time in my life mm. around then. I was that was about I think that album came out the week I went into rehab, mm. and so my life was fairly chaotic. But I do remember that that was that was my first significant flop. Like I've, I'd have other flops where I kind of half expected to be a flop. But yeah. That one on paper, I thought it was a great tune. We had yeah. a really good video. Great tune. It great, was David great, Burford, great so Dizzy Russell at the height of his powers, as you said. And and I, I, you know, it just it was the first time that I thought that's got hit written all over. Yeah. It, and it just just went. Wow. Really quiet. And that hurt. It's the first time. I've ever did it hurt more because you were in rehab while it was happening? Probably like, I like, wasn't at you, my you, best. Yeah. <laughs> and possibly the. I've, you know, we weren't selling it right. You know, I wasn't on the top of my game in in terms of how you sell it. Again, coming back to that thing of hating trying to sell music. But yeah, I mean, it's probably I'm not blaming anyone, but it was the first time I really, it really hurt. Mm. I really thought maybe I'm getting too old for this. You know, I thought I've I thought I'd nail that one, and I haven't. And it knocked my confidence a lot. So, like the what was the release that came after? Because obviously that's going to be a really important one that comes. Well, after. there was other singles off that album. There's a Seattle with Emmy the Great and yeah. um, oh the uh, the bomb with Iggy, he's Frank yeah, of course, with yeah, Iggy again, yeah. really good video yeah. and yeah. Now that's when I was thinking maybe you are getting told because you're doing record. You think this is really good? <laughs> no one else does. Maybe you're in the. He's just business. done a record with Underworld actually, like yeah, very, very interesting. Recently. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's spoken word. It's, it's really weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's I loved a really it. fucking weird record. The, the, like. Does that put you off putting out albums then? I think it did for a while, yeah. yeah. I was definitely smart. I mean, obviously, my, again, I, I, I was kind of getting used to my new sober life. So you, you readjust your confidence. You know, when, when you drink a lot, you don't give a toss. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, ah, bang that out there. I love it, you know. Whereas I think in the cold, sober light of day, you sort of think, well, I don't want to put out another one that, that's going to stiff. Oh, my God. I'm not sure if I could take that what rejection. Must the, what must it be like? It hurts too much. Well, like, there's there's that side of it, because, like, creatively, if you put out a record and you're, if you're, like, you know, you're completely off your head and booze or, or like, whatever, that's going to sting anyway. But the idea... No, 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 because in that, that state, you just go, oh, fuck them. I was right, they were wrong. <laughs> yeah. One day they'll, one day they'll realise. <laughs> you will rule the yeah. day. Rule yeah. the day. Oh, uh, fuck it, I'll move on to the next one. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, you're more sensitive, I think. You're more sensitive. And What's it like going out and DJing after uh, sort of a lifetime of being in and around? Pe- about the first five times I was paralysed with fear. I realised all those things about, you know, weak at the knees and 
jelly legs and all those expressions actually really are you know I really did think I was going to shit myself yeah um, just paralysed with, with stage fright because I always have a couple of beers before I go on and DJ well, but, yeah, yeah, but, I but, think it greases but, the wheels isn't it yeah you know? but like they, they, they have like not having that I think I can do it like but, yeah, you, but can, you just have yeah, you know do, do it if you have to yeah yeah no well I have I've done plenty <laughs> plenty plenty lots and lots of sober sets like yeah. but yeah it must, it must be strange like sort of adjusting to a part like what is essentially a party atmosphere when you aren't yeah. able to get into it's, that it's side adjusting of it it's adjusting how you approach it and how your what your mindset is but also reacting into it but the thing is you you get so much more out of it because when when you're in in the party you're just kind of going with it and you don't remember much about it afterwards but you've kind of figured it was all right mm. but when when you're in the middle of the party but you're the the one the focused one mm-hmm. you can get each level, every little nuance and having spent the best 30 years of my life being in that state of mind i kind of know where people are in their state of mind so you can you can do it, you can manipulate <laughs> people and it's and then you get into the art of uh, the art of, of entertaining people who are high and that, that kind of, and one of the ways of doing it is I, I just get, I know it sounds really wanky to talk about an actual high, but tons of people, when they look at me detail, they go, you must be off your nut because you act, really act like you are. And I, and I kind of am. I sort of get intoxicated by the moment, mm. by the, the atmosphere and the, 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 what I'm getting off the crowd and the, the music and the flashing lights. I get intoxicated. And it's a, sen- it's a sensory hours, overload. Like if you take everything out of it, like if you stick somebody, if you stick somebody in who's never listened to dance music or knows anything about club culture at all, you stick them in that room with a lot of sweaty people listening to that music. Mm. It, it's going to have a transcendent. It's yeah, it's infectious. Yeah, yeah, it's infectious. And and if you think that either that or you run a mile, alcohol, yeah. <laughs> if you think that what alcohol or stimulants would do is is make you high but more relaxed at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of same thing. I'm relaxed because I know what I'm doing. I've been DJing long enough that I, you know, I know that I'm capable of doing this. So yeah. I'm, I'm relaxed about it, and I'm and I'm high because I'm still genuinely as excited about it as I was the first time I DJed. Uh-huh. So between those two, I, it kind of it's the same as being high. But you know, at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of the show, I just quietly go off to bed. Rather, you know, <laughs> Good the, night, everybody. The mischief that I used to in the previous incarnation you've got a guinness world record for the most top 40 hits under different names i, d- I haven't checked if it still holds I did, oh, well I did, like, I did my research oh, really? last w- last week so uh, well unless like where i got it from is like fucked but I well, think as far as i know no one's ever yeah. said actually <laughs> so can 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 you do you know them can you remember them all off by heart so oh that's like, first good test yeah top 40 oh do you know them then you no get... i don't have them all here i've written you've got something i've you. written okay i've written a few a few, a few down so this is all, all the projects that you've, in, you've been right. in. Do you have any other Guinness World Records I should know about just before we start? You are. You, you haven't got any other Guinness? Like you Not that like I know of, no. Stack the most peanut butter sandwiches? or No, no. no. Okay. God knows I've tried. <laughs> right, here we go. House Martins, Beats International, Mighty Dubcats, Freak Power, Fatboy Slim, Norman Cook Featuring, uh, Rockaway 3, uh, I'm actually quite happy about this because I've got one that you haven't said yet. Oh, God. Uh, Surely your ambient one that you were mentioning earlier counts kind of... Yum, yum, head food. No. Oh, it's not a top 40. Oh, yeah. right. Oh, right, yeah. Um, oh, no, they, if, if it's pseudonyms. <laughs> they go on. No, it's ones that were top 40 hits. Um, 
Do you want me to remind yeah, you of the one? Yeah, remind me of the ones I've forgotten. Brighton Port Authority. Oh, Brighton Port Authority, yeah. <laughs> there we, we go. actually have top 40 hits? <laughs> I didn't realise anything you need to scrape the top 40. Um, so you mentioned those bands and, and um, in different pseudonyms. If you take the groups, for example, and you could reform one of them or wanted to reform one of them, which, which one would it be? Oh, God, that's a difficult... That's like, which of your children would you kill first? <laughs> um God. Uh, I don't know, probably the house minds. I mean, I think there's um, there's something about your first love. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, the house minds, we all lost our cherries together and we all, <laughs> it was our first experience <laughs> of true love. And, and you know, just having grown up with Paul and, you know, when you, you know, yeah. school kid and you have these dreams about being on top of the pops and then one day you look at each other and go, fuck me, we're really, <laughs> oh my God, we've done really it. happening, you know. So, yeah. I, he, I still, think there was a, he still is, like, he's, yeah. he still makes great, yeah, and we've stayed friends and we still collaborate and do things together and we still like if he's struggling with a tune he'll send me the demo of it yeah. and go, what do you think you know and I'll add my 10 pennies and yeah I think probably that would be the one just uh, yeah just because it's the one that I remember the fondest and yeah I, like, I think like the same with most people, the, the, yeah. You're going to get high smart the, the band's the, calling the, you out now. The first, <laughs> your, when you lost your virginity, it wasn't necessarily the best sex you ever had, but it's probably the most memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's make it out. Is, is there any, like, uh, anniversaries coming up with, like, the albums? It always seems to happen around, like, you know, the anniversary what of the, the debut album the, or the second album. Or well, I'm getting into the 20th, 20th anniversary yeah, of all the Fatboy Slim things. So. We've done the first two albums. Yeah. Releasing records isn't, isn't, hasn't got the mm. same kind of allure uh, no. and process that it used to have. Because things just are always there on stream, so there's no, you know, all you know together on the, f- the first time on one album, you're all the greatest hits. It's like well, you they're, they're at your fingertips, twenty four hours. It'd be amazing a day. if somebody just released an album where they're like, well, that's the thing is like you you're you're big enough that you could do it where you just release a record where it's not on streaming services and you just release it on vinyl. You know what? If I was in in record making mode, I'd love to hear. I would, I'd love to see I would, somebody do that. Yeah, but it would but it would just get bootlegged, wouldn't it? But that to make the point of not releasing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really have, every, issue. Every, I have an issue with streaming. Mm. I think streaming it could be the final nail in, in the pop music business's coffin. Well, in, in terms of what? In terms of like the way the albums are made or in terms of like... In, ter- in terms of the, the value art. of music. When, when I grew up, you would be so <coughs> in love mm. with pop stars or rock stars and you would worship them and you wanted to be part of their gang. And to be part of that gang, you bought their record and you were part of that gang. You wore the T-shirt. Mm. You bought into the whole thing and you would go to their gigs and you'd meet other people and we'd all be dressed the same. And you'd all, you know, and there was a power and a, a, and a soul and a passion in there which came because you went out of your way to be in that gang. Mm-hmm. Now you've got every single piece of music in the world at your fingertips and you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to make any sacrifice. You don't even have to go down to the shop and get it. You just click play and you don't own it. You just borrow it off. It's it off is it's just ether. Like, somebody's and, and it's hard for it's hard for young people to get excited about music and about bands mm. because it's it's not a it's it's not a uh, a thing you buy into anymore. It's a thing that just exists for your titillation. And I don't think with aside from the revenue that you don't get from from the st- streaming services, aside from the fact that musicians can only make money from their live income because mm. their the recording income just there is no money it's, there yeah, it's not, it's aside not from that I just think the new generation won't grow up wanting to be rock stars because they haven't worshipped that's kind of scary you know and no, they, won't, scary. they won't 
cherish music because music is free it's, it's disposable when, when I was speaking to Jungle quite recently um, I think it was Jay from Jungle was like saying to me that he felt like streaming platforms were like you know like the gas heating it's like art that's gassed into your house that you can turn on and off when you <laughs> want good, yeah yeah and i was just like it, it, that's essentially what it is like you rent it you pay yourself a little rental fee and then that's it yeah but then at the same time as somebody who plays new music and goes out and seeks um new acts and new artists like the the, the <clears throat> idea of genre is completely dead which, which actually makes the music very interesting because like you've got people making music in a very different way than yeah i mean they are, did five there, years there's, ago. Uh, there's upside to it yeah i'm course. just thinking in the in the the end we're in the way that things things are going mm. people won't be able to afford to be musicians anymore and they won't think it's an exciting sexy prospect mm. because they haven't they haven't looked at music in in a way of that high culture mm. art passion that, that we had i guess time will just tell yeah i mean it'd take a few generations i mean it's the same as global warming only time you know we'll probably be dead before we know whether we're well we're right or i mean not. you're you, you you'll, you'll be the first to go you, you literally live on, yeah, the, beach. on the front line yeah it <laughs> <laughs> was the first thought when i moved to brighton i was like oh this will global warming things and all I can think of, well, at least I'm at the top of the hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Norman, thank you so much for taking the time. Invite me into your house and uh, a really nice cup of tea as well and a lovely mug. Um, well, thanks for coming down and, uh, and welcome to the South Coast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for coming back on board uh, the Slacker Season 2 podcast ship. Uh, if you're fresh to it as well, then um, you're very welcome. I'm not sure if anyone ever gives a fuck when people say this, but the podcast is free. There is no Patreon. I'd, like, I was thinking about starting a Patreon, but I'm, do you know what? I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm still doing this, and like I'm really enjoying it. Join just sitting down with artists for an hour. I'm not going to ask for anything other than maybe leave a little review. Maybe give it a five-star rating. That can be your your payment if you want to. Uh, it's totally up to you. I'm launching my book, uh, The Slacker's Guide to the Music Industry. So anybody you know who is really into music or wants to make it their career or just starting out, then maybe it'd be a good present for them or you can tell them all about it. It'll all become clear on my social media at Philly Taggart on Instagram and Twitter next week. Speaking of next week, the podcast will be back and we will have Christine and the Queens for episode two. Thank you so much for listening. Lots of love. The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.